you're able to be here and, and, uh, and make it. I, I, that, I apologize about the song switch thing. That was my fault. I am pretty uh, notorious for hearing them during warm-ups and going, oh, man, that would be perfect uh, for uh, the, the last song we sing. And they're like, oh, okay. Um, and they, they make it work, so I'm thankful for uh, our musicians. Um, those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian. I'm a pastor here at uh, Hope and, and primarily uh, teach here at uh, Lower Town and I'm uh, glad to be here. Um, I, I had Emily actually ask a question for you to discuss that actually in some way pertains to the sermon. I'm gonna try to do that uh, moving forward a little bit if we can, just kind of a, maybe like a weird, I don't know, icebreaker, if you will, um, of just what's the most confused you've, you've ever been. And, and uh, we had a good conversation about mainly directions of just which way do I go, um, even when the GPS is on somehow. Uh, my mom who's here still somehow manages to drive in the wrong direction. Um, it's okay. It's only happened a few times. Um, uh, I, was, there, I was thinking of, uh, there was one time where I, I wasn't the, the recipient of this, but, I, but it's happened to me, but there was one time that I remember uh, quite clearly of uh, going to, um, I was at a store with my wife. We were in like a mall maybe, and we were getting something from the Hallmark store. And, um, and, and I forget, we were, there's a specific candle we were looking for her mom or something, I forget, but we saw the store and we immediately were like, oh, Hallmark. And there was a, a gentleman that was walking in between us and the store and maybe his name was Mark, I don't know, but he got all excited to see us waving at him and, and we, you know, waving back, to, oh, sorry, we're, I don't know you, we were talking about the store. You know that happens when someone waves and you wave back thinking it's, it's to you, but it's not, it's the person behind them, it's always an awkward thing. Um, a very confused uh, story that happened to my father-in-law, which cracks me up every time I think about it. He, he was at a restaurant one time, and he was meeting up with somebody he had never met before. He didn't know what they looked like, but he knew their name was John, and he was about the same age as my father-in-law. And so he, he goes into the restaurant, sees a gentleman sitting there by himself, and he says, hey, are you John? And he says, yes, I am. And he says, are you Bruce? And, he, and my father-in-law says, yes, I am. And so he sits down, and it took him about 15 minutes to realize he was the wrong Bruce and he was the wrong John. Um, <laughs> to realize they, and so they found another table, you know, with another Bruce and John and said, hey, I think we got the wrong, we got the wrong people here, uh, which is pretty remarkable if that, that happened ever in the history of the universe, but um, I thought that was, that was pretty amazing. That's confusing, right? Um, and uh, I know there's a few times, especially when you're sick and if you're, or in a hotel or something, sleeping someplace that you're not used to, and you wake up, where in the world am I? And, um, and that's kind of, that's kind of what's going on with this passage tonight. This passage is is just confusing. And uh, it's one of them that when you, when, you know, as I was studying First Peter and as we've been working through First Peter, this is actually uh, week 14. We took a, a week off last week as we celebrated Easter and, and just getting to this passage, you're just going, man, this is gonna take some, some study. This is gonna take a lot of work. And, and so there's kind of this a culmination of a lot of study that's, that's gonna be, you know, kind of just, you know, verbally, I won't say it. What, I'm going I'm to I'm spew a lot of stuff on you tonight as far as information, but I don't want to get lost in all of that. Uh, I want to make sure that, that Jesus still remains the hope of the world, and I think that this passage teaches that. So that's what we're going to be we're going to be doing. Martin Luther, he is a, an old uh, theologian from the Reformation. Um, he said this about this passage: "A wonderful text is this, a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament." so that I do not know for certainty what Peter means, all right? So, so if that's how Luther feels about it, um, it is also how I 
uh, feel about it. Um, and, and then he just doesn't even have any commentary, right? He has a commentary in First Peter, and that's all he says about this passage, just moves on, all right? We're not, we're not even going to touch this. Um, St. Augustine, he was uh, from the 4th century, he says, this felt by me to be difficult, all right? That was, that was yeah, thanks. Thank you, St. Augustine. I appreciate your help in uh, deciphering what this text actually means. Um, so like I said, we've, we've been in this passage, this is, is uh, 14 weeks that we've been in this First Peter, and, um, and I'm not going to be able to recap everything, but just looking at this foundation, this chief cornerstone of who Christ is, that we've been built up in living stones in him, uh, that we call this between two worlds of saying, and because the language that Peter uses, that we are foreigners, we're exiles, we're strangers in this world, because we're, we're Christians, and there's something about us that's different from the culture around us, and yet how do we conduct ourselves? How do we bless the city? that we're in, and, and how do we live like Christians? And so that's where we've been. Um, two weeks ago, which would have been the last time we were in First Peter, this was 3, 8 through 12, that we looked at suffering from your enemies. And so the, the context of this helps us understand the passage that we're going to be looking at tonight. So just want to recap a little bit of that. Um, but he starts off with, finally, all of you, be, be like-minded. And we, we kind of talked about our, our vision and our, and our future at Hope Community Church. And, and one thing, as we were looking at our, our vision statement of that we um, want to honor God by, being, by making as many people as possible become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And, and part of that is just a simple way of blessing our community and our neighborhood, specifically here in Lower Town, is we've got a Lower Town cleanup day. So if you got a, you got a handout when you came in on my sermon notes, in the back of that, there's a little bit more information on there of some dates. Um, but we were trying to plan what's something that we can just do something simple for the community and that would be cleaning up. I mean, how simple is that? And then we found that there's actually a company, Aspire Credit Union, that already does this. And uh, so it'd be great to just get as many of us as possible to be able to just flood this community. It's next Sunday. Um, we'll, we'll meet at 1245 and you can register on there. I'll send out another email link to myhopecc.com if you're on all that or the uh, uh, yeah, myhopesteasy.com. And so if you're on that, you'll get another reminder. But And if you don't know any idea what I'm talking about, I'll be able to, I can walk you through how to sign up for that. So that's what we talked about a couple weeks ago. So let me read this passage where we're at. So finally, all of you be, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. And these words, compassionate and humble, specifically in love one another, is that Philadelphia, this brotherly love, these were words that were reserved for an intimate, close-knit family, not a group of people and a body of people like this. this was, but that's what Peter's saying. This is how we are to act as a close family. He says, do not repay evil with evil, which is our natural inclination, or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because this is who you were called. This is what you've been done to be, be redeemed, that you may inherit a blessing. And then he kind of gives this uh, treatise, a quote from uh, Psalms, uh, Psalm uh, 53. Uh, says this, For whoever would lo love life and see good days must keep in their tongue uh, from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so that, that was the passage that we looked at last week and looking at the suffering that we may be may receiving because as a result of the fact that we're Christians, that we may do things differently, um, that we have different priorities in this world um, to say that, that, that we may receive suffering. And so there's, there's gonna be a connection there tonight. So tonight's passage and text uh, is gonna be 1 Peter 3, 13 through 22. Um, and, uh, the, and the title is Jesus Brings Us 
to the Father. Let me read uh, these verses and then we will jump into it. It says this, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer from what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but a pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. That is the passage. Uh, a friend of mine, Chris Walker, I've talked about him a few times. He's Pastor Cora's brother-in-law, actually. Um, he preached on this a, a few years ago, and, and, and this is what he said about this, and I think this is helpful. Uh, he, said, he said this, this is what I call a moon passage versus a sun passage, meaning like God made the sun greater than the moon, so did he make some passages of the Bible greater than the others. In this passage, there are sun elements and there are moon elements. The sun is the explicit gospel is mentioned alongside the moon of some cryptic teaching about Jesus preaching to the spirits in prison at some point in some way for some reason. All right, that's where we're headed tonight in this passage. So let's, let's start with the sun. All right, and that's, that's what we're gonna look at. We're gonna look at what, are, what, is, what is the clear teachings of this passage that, that we as believers, as a church, in our society, in this community, how should we live? How should we conduct ourselves? And so he starts off with a rhetorical question. And I, I'm not a fan of rhetorical questions, especially when I was a kid. I just hated it. I just never, it took me a long time, you know, to figure that out. You know, the teacher would just be like, hey, what's, what's two plus two? I mean, everybody knows that. You know, I know, I know, pick me. I know that one, right? I, I got this. And, you know, no, Brian, it's a rhetorical question. Yeah, I know. But if, you know, if you, Casey need to know, yeah, I got, I, I got the answer for you. You know, I know what that means, right? I just, I just never, it took me a long time to, to figure that out because it just states the obvious, right? And that's, and that's what Peter is going to start off with doing here in, in this uh, verse 13. He says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Right, it's this rhetorical question. And then he, then he goes and he says, but, but even if you should suffer what is right for what is right, you are blessed. And then he quotes this passage in Isaiah chapter eight, verse four. He says, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. And in that passage, when you, when you go back and look at the context of that, there's this, this huge army of the Assyrians surrounding uh, the Israelites in their camp, and, and they're, they're likened to the, the Euphrates River and that water. And so he's going to use water a few times in this passage, this, this river that's going to flood and just destroy. And he says in that passage, do not, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. And same thing for us, the church. Who's going to harm you? If you are eager to do 
good, right? If, if our God is for us, who can stand against us? And as the, as the apostle Paul says, right? He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I mean, I mean, just think about that. If we all had that attitude, I mean, no one's coming at me with, with death threats or, or, or threatening me or anything like that. But if it were to come to that, if, if I was suffering in that way, to have that mindset of the apostle Paul, to say, listen, you can tell me to stop preaching Christ. I'm gonna keep doing it. And guess what? The worst thing you can do to me is actually gonna be better for me, right? For, for me to live as Christ and to die is actually gain. So bring it on. And don't have have that mindset, this rhetorical question that God is for us and God is for you. And when we're going through suffering, that's really hard to believe. That God is is for you, that he cares for you. And as we're gonna see, he knows what it's like to suffer. So then he says, be prepared. Or as Scar would say, be prepared. Right? Remember that one? You know they're they're uh, they're remaking this movie, and I've heard that they're they're cutting this song out of the uh, the new movie. They're doing a a thing, right? And this, I mean, how how many of you were scarred as children, like literally by Scar? When you're right, right, long live the king, right? And let's let's Mufasa, right? Listen, that was hard enough in in, in, in a cartoon. Now that's going to be like a real Mufasa dying. I don't think I'll be able to handle it. I don't think I can watch that that movie. Um, Disney, what do they know? He says this, so be prepared, all right? He says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, as master, as king, that I've bowed the knee to King Jesus. And he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. What is the hope, the hope that Peter is saying over and over and over here, this future hope of a resurrection, this future hope that is Jesus Christ? Are we ready to do that? Are we, are we prepared to give an answer? That if someone were to come up to you and say, hey, you, you did this church thing, you've been doing that for a while, and, and, and what is it that you believe? What, what is that? How would you articulate that? One, one piece that I want to just quickly share, there was a book written by a guy named Greg Gilbert, I think that, I know his last name was Gilbert. Um, Greg just sounds like it flows right, so I'm gonna say that. Uh, and he wrote a little book called What is the Gospel? And, uh, and he breaks it down in, this, in these four words. And so maybe this will just be a little tool for you that if you think, okay, if, if I'm really to share the gospel with, with an individual, what would I, what would I say? What, were the, what would be the main parts of the gospel? And, and he breaks it down by these four words of God, man, Jesus, faith. And he goes by saying, we have to start with God. We have to start with a creator. In the beginning, God creates and he creates everything and it is good and it is perfect. But then mankind chooses to sin and therefore we choose to suffer and the fall happens and this world breaks and therefore everything that has ever been created is tainted and broken and affected by sin. Everything has this black black mark of sin. But then Jesus comes, and Jesus comes fully God, fully man. And then if we just have faith in him for his death, his burial, and resurrection for us, then we will be saved. That's the gospel. And if we take any one of these parts out of that equation, it's no longer the gospel. And if we add something plus, well, now that you have this faith in Christ, well, now you got to do all these good things, we've missed the gospel. We've added to it. We can't, we can't do that. Okay, so those are the four 
points of the gospel, and obviously there's, there's a lot more to it than that, but that would be it in a nutshell. So then he says this, though. He says, be prepared, right, to, get, to give an answer, but do this with gentleness and with respect. But do this with gentleness and respect. There's a phrase that we use at Hope where we say matter and manner matter. In other words, the, the content of what I'm sharing, if it's based on Scripture, if I say this is, this is what I believe the Bible's teaching, this is the, the, the matter, this is the content, how I deliver that message is just as important because you can have the right information. And if you deliver that in a harmful way, you have done no good. And so the matter and the manner both really matter. And unfortunately, the church historically has gotten this very wrong on certain things. I can have very strong beliefs, but if I feel like I need to beat you over the head with a theological club, I've lost. That if I say the right thing in the wrong way, I've done the wrong thing. So how can we as a people, how can we love how can we listen? There's, if there's one thing that I've learned in, in my five years at Hope Community Church, it's just listen. Everybody has a story. Just, just listen to their story. Just hear them out. Hear their side of things. Listen to people. And then talk to them in a gentle manner, in a way that respects them as individuals. And even if we disagree on things, that we can still love one another. That's what we're called to be, and that's who we are called to be as people, that our manner and how we deliver our message really, really matters. And then he goes on to say in that same thread, but do this, give an answer with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. So those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. There are things that you may say and maybe things that you may do that somebody would say, hey, I'm going I'm to attack you, right? And this is, this is, our, this is our generation, my gen- our, our culture. Just We want to attack everything on Facebook and that kind of thing and just say, I'm, I'm just, a, I'm just a, 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 a anonymous. It's not anonymous because your name is on there. But, but people just are they're willing to say whatever they want to say, right? They just, they just put it out there. And, and how can we then respond? Maybe we don't respond publicly, right? Maybe we send a private message, right? Or maybe we don't respond at all because it's not worthy of that. That a soft answer turns away wrath. And how can we uh, show that those who would speak, speak maliciously against our good behavior in Christ, right? Not just, this isn't just something that I'm doing because I'm doing it. This is something that I'm doing as a result of being a Christian. But they may be ashamed, like put to shame for their slander. And we need to have an attitude, we need to have a, a lifestyle that says we care about people and we're willing to listen and to love. So another aspect of, of the sun part that we're still seeing that's amazing is he says, right, and this is, he doesn't say this, but he's going to, Jesus kind of uses this language, language throughout scripture of, I see, I see your problem, I hear your problem, I know your suffering. I know what it's like. I've been there. I've done that. He says, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil, right? So the suffering that is a result of our doing well or doing good and treating people well, if we suffer, that's a good thing because it's for Christ, because our hope is in him, not in things in this world. He says, for Christ also suffered. And we gotta, 
Don't, don't let that, like, just, yeah, that's, yeah, Jesus, I know, right? Yeah, he, he died on the cross. Let's not forget that. That the God that we worship put on flesh, and he suffered, not just physically. He was betrayed by friends. I mean, his closest friends said, I don't, I don't even know who that is. They walked away from him. They didn't believe a word he said when he said, I'm going to be raised from the dead. And even when, when the women went to the tomb, they're like, hey, he's not there. They're like, nah, I better go check for myself. He was betrayed. He knows that's like, and even on the cross as he's suffering and our sins are being poured out on him and God's wrath is being pushed down on top of him and the father turns his face away and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows what it's like to suffer for your sins. And so when you are suffering, he sees you, he hears you, and he knows. He knows what it's like to suffer. That's the sun. Now let's get to the moon of this passage. Starting in verse 19. Let me just read this again. He says, after being made alive... After the resurrection, Jesus went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. Right, so that's kind of the question. When, when did he go? Where did he go? And who is he preaching to? All right, those are the kind of the questions that, that pop right here. And then Peter tries to give us a little commentary. He says, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Okay. In it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. So now let's look at the dark side of the moon. That's pretty good. Right? I'm two for two with uh, Disney Disney songs. Yeah, I don't remember any other part of this song. That's only you know, it's the only thing from Mulan, right? Uh, it wasn't one of my favorite ones growing up, but uh, right, it's the only thing I know. Dark, the dark side of the moon. Din it and din and din. I don't I don't know any of the words. Um. All right, let, let, me, let me say this. We as a church, uh, historically, we've, we've been wandering in confusion for a very long time about this passage, right? I think, and I think this passage has been very misunderstood because I think what happened, I don't know, you know, thousands of years ago in the two, three hundreds, um, that people, they, they, they had this idea or somebody read this passage and, and they came up with this idea that Jesus, after he died, he actually went to hell. All right, he went to hell and he, and he suffered for a few days. And while he was in hell, he actually preached to those people and, and maybe gave them a second chance to, to repent of that, right? And, and this is actually in our Apostles' Creed. So for thousands of years, Christians all over the world and probably even today read something like this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead and he ascended to heaven. And is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. So there it is, right, right in the middle. He, de he descended to hell. But what we have to look at this passage, the part that is not the dark side of the moon when it comes to this passage, is Jesus does not go to hell. Because if we look at, again, this, this unclear passage and say we're going to take a huge piece of theology and we're going to put this into something like the Apostles' Creed, then there better be other passages that back this up. 
and all the other passages of Scripture do not back this up, right? Jesus on the cross says, it is finished, not it's finished, little asterisk there, right? Because I'm going to be right back. Okay, I'm going to go to hell for a few days. I'm going to preach. I'm going to give some people a second chance. And listen, that's wrong matter done in the wrong manner that has been done by the church for a long time. Because if we preach the matter and the message that, hey, listen, you can live it up now because guess what? When you die, you're going to have a second chance. Holy cow, we've missed the message of the Bible. We've got to be very careful of that, right? As he's hanging on the cross and he looks at the thief next to him, right? Hey, today, well, you'll be in paradise. I'll see you in a few days, right? No, that's not, today I'm gonna see you in paradise. So, So one thing that we can know for sure about this passage is that he does not descend to hell and he does not preach the gospel to people who have already died. So then what in the world are we left with? Good question. I wanna look at two Two main, uh, I would say the two examples that we read in, in commentaries, and, and, and I, was, I was looking at Pastor Cor, he preached this this morning. He said that um, one commentary said that there was over 130 different ways to look at this passage. We're, we're, we're going to do two, okay? Where I'm not going to uh, waste your time. Um, and, and I would really say these are really the only two that I would say fit within our mold of biblical orthodoxy. In other words, just not heresy, right? So uh, of that idea of Jesus went to hell and suffered there, he, he didn't. Uh, he suffered once. Our passage teaches that. He suffered once for our sins. So what are the two? Well, the first one I want to look at is this idea that comes from First Enoch. This is probably not familiar to hardly any of you. If you grew up in the Catholic Church, you might be a little familiar with First Enoch. Um, it is a book that is in what we call the Apocrypha. Okay, I'm not going to get all weird, but it's the Old Testament, and there's a New Testament, and there's 400 years of silence between uh, Malachi and, and, and Matthew, or, or Mark was the first one uh, written, okay? So 400 years of silence, and then they would call these intertestamental period uh, of, of 400 years. There were some books written there, and, and maybe you've heard of Maccabees and that kind of thing. Well, Enoch was actually going all the way back in Genesis that it says that he walked with God, and so therefore God actually took him to be with him early, right? Young. He was his young guy, and he was just so close with God that God was like, nope, like, I, I need to spend more time with you, Enoch, okay? So he was, he was revered in Jewish tradition, and so thousands of years after Enoch is long gone, somebody, um, what do they call that, a pseudonym? Someone, a pen name, is that right? Someone, someone else wrote and penned and wrote these books of First and Second Enoch. But they would have been well known within the Jewish tradition. And so uh, Karen Jobes, uh, who I quote a lot here, she has uh, hands down the best uh, commentary on First Job. I want to read what she kind of gives some insight of this First Enoch passage of maybe this tradition might help us understand what Peter's talking about. All right, so just, this is going to get a little, little weird, maybe a little sci-fi. Enoch is, is kind of that way, all right? Just, uh, just, just, just be warned, all right? And she quotes a lot of First Enoch in here. First Enoch tells a similar but more elaborate tale of what Peter tells. It says, the, the watchers were the fallen angels who had abandoned heaven, and they slept with human women and produced children referred to as giants from whose bodies evil spirits have come. These evil spirits have taught people deeds of shame, injustice, and sin. All right, that's a quote. And will continue to corrupt the earth until the day of the great conclusion, until the great age is uh, consummated, until everything is concluded. 
The watchers appeal to Enoch to intercede with God on behalf of themselves and the evil progeny they have produced. Enoch obliges and returns with God's proclamation to the watchers. Again, this is all fiction. Okay? This, is not, this doesn't happen. Okay? And it says, you will not be able to ascend into heaven until all eternity, but you will remain inside the earth, imprisoned all the days of eternity. Moreover, the watchers would see the destruction of their own sons, referred to as the spirits, possibly what Peter's talking about, because of the petitions for themselves and for their sons, will not be heard by God. These spirits that came from the bodies of the giants, fathered by the watchers through human women, were the cause of the human evil that led to the great flood during the time of Enoch's grandson, Noah. Crystal clear, right? We got, yeah, we got, I got that. No problem, right? All right, let me just, after being made alive, potentially, okay, we're not putting all of our eggs in one basket. I don't know what that phrase means because don't we all put our eggs in one carton like every time? I've never been like, hey, just in case this carton falls, let's split them up in the bags. No. All right, so I'm going to put five eggs in this one, five in the other one, and the other two, I'm going to like I don't make an omelet because I don't know what to do with them because I, I, I really, this is, this, this, anyway, okay. After being made alive, Jesus went to these, these giants, these spirits, these watchers and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, just those spirits, and to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, when the ark was being built, so there's the connection. That, that fits well with the, the traditional story that was told from Enoch. And only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. All right, so, so what we can say, maybe, and what Peter's doing here, whether that's, this is the right way to interpret it or not, what we can do and what we can understand from this and glean from this is that Jesus wins. Jesus has authority over those who are alive and those who are dead, those who are living in the flesh and those who are spirits, that he has authority over everything and everyone for all time. And that would be in the light of maybe a Jewish tradition to highlight that fact, that he is both in charge of the physical and the spiritual realm. Another aspect that um, I might lean a little bit more towards, and, and, uh, but it, again, I don't know if it really matters, is, is this idea uh, that Christ preached through Noah. This would have been something that happened a lot in the Old Testament, that it says that when the prophets preached or taught, that the actual, that Jesus incarnate was kind of there working along with them. And so maybe that's what's going on. And so I'm going to quote uh, Pastor Chris again. He, he, he goes to Hiawatha Church in, in South Minneapolis. He says, the second view sees the spirits in prison as human souls who were disobedient in Noah's day that Christ himself preached to through Noah. That as Noah's building the ark, that he's, he's preaching salvation in the ark. But who disobeyed nonetheless and who are now in prison awaiting consignment to hell. So this view is focused more on the past, more on the past. Christ is in spirit, was present in Noah thousands of years before his incarnation, death, resurrection. And so Peter's point isn't so much to describe what happened between his death and his resurrection, which it can't because it says after he uh, arose, after he arose, right? So after he, he raised from the dead, it's not in between, uh, is, is to make it a secondary point or an example out of a minority who suffered, but who were saved in the end of these eight individuals who were saved from the wrath of God, the flood waters that were to come. And that, and that flows with 1 Peter. 
That is, he's looking at our suffering, the, the few, the, the, the minority, the, the, the foreigner, the exile, those of us who are, are aliens, to say that those of us who are suffering in that way and suffering persecution, to say, oh, listen, it's, you're going to be saved in the end from the wrath of God. And this ark that they were saved from, that ark is Jesus. That a few saved from the many, saved from God's wrath in the ark, and now we are saved from God's wrath in Jesus. And so then let's look at the end of this passage where we can say, here comes the sun. I sing that every morning. If I, every time I wake up my son and the sun's just kind of coming out, I start to sing that. I grew up on the Beatles. Uh, my mom is actually making a Beatles room uh, in her house, which is pretty cool. I'm pretty stoked about that room. Um, and uh, uh, we only listened to it. My dad wasn't around though, because we weren't allowed to listen to the Beatles, but um, uh, that's okay. My mom, my mom was a heathen. <laughs> He's a fundamentalist over there. Um, all right, uh, but here comes the sun. Okay, we're going we're to see some more light that's going to come, and it's going to proclaim Jesus, which I, I love. It says, and this water, right, from, from Noah symbolizes baptism that now saves you. So what is this baptism talking about? What I think Peter is doing here is this baptism. He's not talking about water baptism. Okay, we got to be clear of that. Peter's not talking about getting dipped underwater in, in a water baptismal, which we've done here. There are actually 12 Corinth were baptized here last week. It was really awesome to be able to see that. This isn't just, the baptism doesn't save you. What he's saying is the baptism of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus descending in a physical hell on the cross and then raising again in glorious light, that baptism saves us. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God because of what Christ did and has done. And he makes it explicitly clear right here. It, the baptism, what? Saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That if Jesus Christ remains in the tomb, we are all wasting our time. That our salvation from that wrath of God that was poured out on Christ can only be through faith in him. And then he says this, it is finished. He says, who has gone into heaven? Jesus now has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers and submission to him. He's in control. He knows what it's like to suffer, that he passed through the baptism, that he suffered on our behalf. All right, in the passage, it talks about how it is Jesus's righteousness is given to us for the unrighteous. And I've said this, I've, I don't know how many times I've said this, it's what, what uh, uh, Martin Luther called the great exchange. And, and uh, this is actually why I switched. I wanted to sing this song because we, we have this, chorus of this verse of this song that says this, be of sin the double cure, this great exchange. Be of sin the double cure, saved from wrath and made me pure. I have been baptized in Jesus Christ, saved from the wrath of God. And so therefore, my sin becomes Jesus' sin, and his righteousness is no longer his righteousness, it's my righteousness. That's the great exchange. And what we see in the gospel application is that Jesus has won the victory over life and death. 
And if you've walked in here and you've said, man, I, I've never heard that before. I don't know if I believe that. I'm just checking out Christianity. I'm kicking the tires of Christianity. Would you just ask those questions? Would you understand that Jesus has won the victory? And for some of you in here tonight, maybe again, you just need to be reminded that he sees and he hears and he knows. He knows what it's like to suffer. Like we do every week here at, at Hope Lower Town as we take communion. And we're going to take these elements, this, this sacrificial meal that Jesus instituted thousands of years ago, that we're going to look at the bread that he said, this bread represents my body, which is going to be broken for you. The juice represents my blood, which is going to be shed for your sins. And there's going to be a bloody sacrifice because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, but it's not going to be a bull. It's not going to be a lamb. It's not going to be a dove. It's going to be my blood that I'm going to shed for you, and I'm going to bear the wrath of the Almighty Holy Father, and all you need to do is accept and believe that this is exactly what I'm doing. And so we will take these elements together, and, and all we would encourage you, if you want to take these elements, is that you'd be a follower of Jesus. Uh, you don't need to be a member of this church or any church. You just say, if you say, yes, I, I bow the knee to King Jesus, then will you come and partake of these elements with us in this family meal together to recognize that he is the king, he is the Lord, and he is seated on the throne over every principality and authority and angels. They are all in submission to him. Uh, there is a gluten-free option on this left, on my left, if that is a need, dietary need for you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that your scriptures are clear. I thank you that the, the, the aspects that we need for faith and devotion to you are unmistakably clear. And there are things that, that churches will disagree on and, and argue and bicker about. And God, would, I, would we be the kind of people that would listen, that would take the, the matter of what we believe to be true by your holy, perfect word and deliver that in a manner that people would be able to say, I disagree, but man, thank you. Thank you for the way that you told me that. Would we be those kinds of people? Would we be the kind of people that would recognize that Jesus knows what it's like to suffer, and so therefore when we cry out for help, he says, I know, I see you, and I hear you. And God, we're about to partake of these elements that demonstrates that you know. You know what it's like to see your own suffer your own sons suffer for our sins. So God, as we take these elements, would it just be honoring to you, glorifying to you as we sing these songs and this verse of this great exchange of this double cure. It would be reminded of what you did for us thousands of years ago on the cross. And it is in your son's most glorious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.